and uh, okay. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to meet again and study your word, the book of 2 Corinthians. Thank you for all the truths we've been able to glean and understand. And we know you have a purpose for this, even in our lives. Uh, Nothing is by chance. And we know that you are in control and guiding and directing us. Help us, Father, therefore, to take heed to all that we read and understand and help us, Father, to apply this to our lives in uh, the way the Spirit leads and directs us. Uh, We do pray for our dear sister and her, Laurie, and her uh, fall of the foot, the broken foot. And then the the sad news we heard about uh, uh, from Kim about the operation, the, the extent of it. We just pray for healing for her, that that her body will heal, the, the injury will heal, and uh, that uh, things will turn out uh, uh, not, not so bad as we've heard tonight. We just pray that she'll be able to endure the therapy and all that's necessary in the days ahead. She's just had so many difficulties and endured so much <clears throat> that uh, we're, we just pray for her, that you'll comfort her and, and give her help all the help she needs and uh, any help we can, we can, we pray that uh, as a church, as a family, and that we'll be able to aid in any way that's necessary. Thank you for the good report of my sister. Thank you for others who are uh, suffering with chronic problems for our brother Hugh and, and others who are suffering chronic uh, diseases they have to contend with every day and so forth. We, Pray for them, and we ask your blessing now as we begin our class tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we are looking at uh, chapter 8. We've begun a new section. Uh, We finished chapters 1 through 7, and then Corinthians is divided. 2 Corinthians comes at chapters 8 and 9 deals with the collection for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. So it tells us a lot about giving. So here's one of the, probably the, you know, for us, the most informative uh, passage in scripture, one of the most informative about giving, our giving, particularly financial giving is what we're talking about in this particular case, giving of our finances to the Lord. So we learn some very valuable lessons here about how we should conduct our own giving and so forth. Uh, This particular uh, involves, as I said, Paul's desire to send an offering uh, to Christians in Jerusalem, Judea. Apparently they're having some very serious difficulties at this time, which we don't know all that's going on there, persecution or other things, maybe famine. We, we just don't know exactly what the exact uh, incident that brings this about in Paul. But Paul uh, sees this as a way, uh, it's very clear, of uniting the Jewish and Gentile churches. There's always tension here. You know, this tension arose. First, we saw it in Acts 15 with the Jerusalem Council. Paul goes out and uh, on his first missionary journey, he's establishing Gentile churches for the most part. And how does that relate to the Jewish, the Jewish church, mainly Jews in Jerusalem and that area? 
uh, about the law. Do they have to keep the law? How does that relate to the law and so forth? And, you know, Jews and Gentiles, Jews didn't really have anything to do with Gentiles. They kept themselves separate for the most part as much as they could. So now we have Jew and Gentile in one body. Uh, this, this distinction of Jew and Gentile is not important anymore. It was important in the Old Testament, but it's not important. And it's not to be emphasized. We're just one in Christ. So these ethnic, you know, racial, whatever divisions should not be in the church. And Paul wants to uh, try to help that along, uh, heal that breach that's been in the past between Jew and Gentile by uh, the Gentiles contributing and helping their brothers and sisters, Jewish brothers and sisters mainly in Jerusalem, Judea. So he begins to talk, first of all, about this collection, and he does so uh, by emphasizing to the Corinthians the contribution of the Macedonians. Uh, remember, the, uh, the Macedonians are, of course, uh, the Christians in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica, north of Corinth. All of that land would be part of what we call Greece today, but back in those days, those, those areas were Macedonia. The Greeks, they were united, Macedonia were united under the uh, Alexander the Great, who was a Macedonian, but then the Romans established a couple of provinces, province of Achaia, which took up a lot large part of Greece and, uh, and Macedonia, the province of Macedonia. So he begins uh, by emphasizing the generosity of the Macedonian churches uh, to give to this particular offering. And he uses that then in chapter eight, beginning in verse six, to encourage similar generosity in Corinth. And he challenges them right there, beginning in verse six, to complete the collection. So a, on a collection, this collection had been started at Corinth, but most probably because the difficulties between Paul and the church, the uh, painful uh, visit, the severe letter, all that's gone on, um, things had come to a halt. And now Paul urges them to uh, complete this collection. Um, and so he, uh, he, is, he talks about that in verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 6 through 15, and we discussed that in some detail. Um, he mentions the fact that they were among the first to give, you know. So he is, uh, the, the, the Corinthians were among the first who wanted to give and started giving. Now he's sending uh, Titus and his companion, some other brothers, in verses 8, 16 through 9, 5, to complete the collection. And that's where we're at tonight, <clears throat> the sending of Titus and his companions, 8, 16 through 9, 5. And we have, first of all, uh, the introduction of the messengers here that Paul is sending ahead of him. He's, before he comes, he's sending Titus and some other folks, two other, some other brothers. And uh, as I say here, this section is really Paul's letter of commendation to the church at Corinth, giving the credentials of three appointed delegates and encouraging the Corinthians to welcome them warmly. 
So he wants to talk about these three brothers uh, and give them sort of a letter of commendation here um, uh, because they're going to be coming to complete this collection. He first of all mentions Titus here, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And he says about Titus in verse 16, Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, uh, but is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. So I'll say here, Paul wished to avoid any personal criticism involving the offering for Jerusalem. Uh, we are taking pains, he says, to do what is right, uh, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of man, uh, in verse uh, 21. He wants to avoid any criticism about this offering. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, you remember, in verse 2, he insisted there that uh, the collection occur prior to his coming uh, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He, want this, he wants this to be done before he comes. Um, he also instructed the Corinthians to appoint their own representatives to accompany this collection uh, to Jerusalem. When, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Um, so uh, now in 2 Corinthians, um, we see that Paul is taking an additional precaution. He's sending Titus, that's his trusted colleague. Titus is the one who took the uh, severe letter to Corinth. And Paul is now in Macedonia. He's been joined by uh, Titus and gotten the good report that they received the severe letter well. So now he feels confident I can speak about the collection again. So he's sending Titus, his, his trusted, very trusted colleague, to finish the collection uh, because I guess, you know, Titus has developed a good working relationship with the church. Things went well when Titus went there with the severe letter. Uh, I say here in verse 17, Paul uh, proceeds to describe the intensity of Titus's concern. He's much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Uh, it's true that Paul, you know, urged him to arrange for the collection to be completed. Uh, saw that back in verse six, but this invitation had merely confirmed Titus's eager willingness. In reality, Paul says he's really going on his own initiative here. He wants to do this. It's not that I'm making him do this, really. So he talks about Titus. He's giving kind of a letter of recommendation, identifying who these people are who are coming. And then uh, he talks about the brother, verses 18 through 21, another person who's coming with Titus. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer 
in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. So in addition to Titus, Paul is sending two church representatives to help Titus, both of whom are unnamed. The first unidentified Christian brother that Paul was sending with Titus has a double double qualification. First, he was well-known, it's said here um, in verse... uh, um, uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, I can't say who has chosen my church. And let's see. Verse uh, I'm trying to say who's praised by all the churches for his service. I guess that's what I was thinking about. I'm, I'm gathering from that that he is, you know, well known in that sense. Um, so he is, uh, he is, you know, well known for his service in the gospel, uh, in verse eighteen. Um, also, he had um, he had been selected and commissioned. We're told here by an unspecified number of churches, um, chosen by the churches. We're not told which churches exactly here but chosen to accompany Paul in administering the collection, verse 19. Um, Now, when we read further on, as we get to verse 22, uh, he is apparently um, um, the fact that he's called the brother rather than our brother. And when we get to, when we get to the next section, uh, in addition, we're sending with him our brother, that's the other individual that's coming with Titus. The fact that he's not called our brother, but the brother suggests that he's not a regular traveling companion of the apostle Paul, not one of Paul's colleagues. And uh, from the list of people, we actually have a list of the, who these people were, who Paul sends ultimately. Now we know who these people are. Uh, apparently they are, um, well, let's look at a map here. Uh, remember Paul says here, uh, I'm going back in time here. Now I went to Troas, you remember he was looking for Titus and then he set out for Macedonia. So, uh, he's writing now from Macedonia, Acts chapter 20, verse one. So in the book of Acts, we are at Acts chapter 20 verse 1, and he's writing 2 Corinthians. Well, we can read ahead in Acts chapter 20, and we see some interesting information. Uh, So verse 1, after the uproar had ended in Ephesus, Paul goes to Macedonia. Verse 2, he traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people. That's where he's at now in Macedonia, He's writing 2 Corinthians, but it says he travels around Macedonia, and then he finally arrives in Greece. That's Corinth. So we know he he writes the letter to 2 Corinthians. He goes to Corinth, where he stayed three months. So uh, we know that after he writes this letter, he comes to Corinth. He stays three months. Because some of the Jews had plotted against him just as as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. So what Paul planned to do was go to Corinth, 
get this offering uh, that, you know, and then uh, he was going to go sail to Jerusalem. But, you know, in the book of Acts, it says, well, because there was this plot, he just traces his steps backward and goes back up to Macedonia and back down to the, the uh, west coast of Turkey there to Asia Minor, takes a different route <clears throat> in the book of Acts. But notice verse four, he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea. So here's one of those representatives. Berea, remember, was one of the churches. Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. So uh, the people from the north, uh, Derby, of course, is in, in Turkey, Asia, in Galatia area. So we're, I've highlighted the possibilities here. Who, are, who is this brother? Uh, well, it would suggest, you know, either Sopater, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, or Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. So it has to be, you know, apparently one of these three men is the person we're talking about here. Now, although Paul is not actually involved in collecting this money, he was supervising the administration of it. And he says it's to honor the Lord himself to show our eagerness to help and so forth. Verse 20, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Um, and, you know, this is just, you know, common sense. You just take pains to make sure that there can't be any criticism. Uh, you know, when we, most churches like our church, when you count the offering, you don't have one person. <laughs> you don't have one person involved in that. You know, you have several people involved in handling the money. You just don't allow one person to have that kind of control or anything. And so Paul is taking pains here. Uh, he's, sent, he's got several people involved. I say because he was the prime mover behind the Jerusalem collection, Paul anticipated there would be criticism of him and his motives. Since he expected the offering to be a sizable gift, this liberal gift, uh, verse 20, he was particularly susceptible to malicious charges, possibly that the whole project was designed to bribe the Jerusalem church to fully support his ministry. Now, that's one idea. Um, you know, you could say, you know, we, there's, it could be a lot of m evil motives that a person could have. Paul, they could, Paul could be accused of a lot of things. Maybe he would be accused of, he's just using this to get in goods. That's why he's doing it. He doesn't really care anything about them, but he just wants to look good. You know, that could be a motive. Or he was quietly retaining a commission for his services at admi administrator of the gift. So, you know, he's giving this gift, but Paul's taking his cut. So, you know, there could be all kinds of criticisms Paul could face. So this probably explains a number of details in the Corinthian correspondence, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 16. Um, remember, originally here, it says that Paul was uncertain whether he would accompany the church delegates. It says, 
lastly in verse four, if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. This is when he's writing first Corinthians and talking about the Corinthians can appoint their representatives. And, you know, if, if that's what they think is best, you know, I can go with them. Now, ultimately he did, but he's just saying that here. Uh, he insists here, notice that the Corinthians appoint their own accredited representatives. Uh, and he's sending to Corinth before he arrives two delegates here, along with his personal representative, Titus. So Paul is doing everything he can to assure that no one can say there's some hanky-panky going on here with the money. Paul is enriching himself. No. Now, Paul was not a person to seek the praise of men, but he recognized that the progress of the gospel would be hindered uh, if its ministers for any reason acquired a reputation for dishonest dealing. And, you know, frankly, unfortunately, we've had that in Christianity. That's a very sad thing. And Paul is trying to avoid that here. So we looking at the introduction of these messengers that Paul is sending, he's sending Titus, He's sending someone called the brother. That's probably one of those three men from Thessalonica or Berea. And then he says, another person I'm sending, our brother. In addition, verse 22, we're sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and even more so because of his great confidence in you. The second anonymous representative who would travel to Corinth with Titus is simply identified as our brother, though that probably identifies him as a colleague of Paul. I'm not certain, but probably. On many occasions, Paul says, and in many ways, he had proved his zeal. You know, Paul, Paul had proved his zeal, uh, which in this you know, matter was all the greater because you know, he had great confidence uh, that the Corinthians would, uh, you know, come up with this liberal gift here. Now, we don't know why Paul, you know, we wonder, why didn't Paul just name these uh, men, these brothers? Uh, he doesn't, and we wonder why he didn't. Uh, maybe, you know, most likely they would be introduced when Titus uh, read the letter. Now, that's what happened in these churches, when Paul sent these letters, uh, they were they were read orally in the church before they were ever copied by anyone. They were read in the church. So um, you know, most probably, you know, they say here is uh, the brother, and here he is. Here's Joe. You know, Titus would introduce these men when he's reading the letter. Um, it could be that, you know, they were just already known or something because he, he pointed, they, they were, one is called, you know, renowned appointees of the churches. Uh, we don't know whether they had visited churches. We, we don't know exactly why, but he doesn't actually name them here, but certainly they will be known when they get to Corinth. Neither are we sure, I say here, why Paul chose to send three delegates. Would not Titus have advice? Now, as I've said, Evidently, this was uh, because Paul was susceptible, at least he thought he was susceptible to being misrepresented at Corinth more than other churches. You know, uh, not, you know, he didn't have these kind of problems seemingly in the other churches that he had in Corinth. Uh, 
So he's taking added precautions here. Uh, so he didn't want to send just Titus, his personal representative. Uh, he didn't want to open him up, himself up to gossip. Now we'll see that chapter 12, he talks about this kind of thing that people are gossiping about him. And so, so these two sort of independent envoys would be able to testify to his honest intentions, what Paul was trying to do and, and Paul's conduct. So Paul is taking every precaution here. Then we see the commendation of the group in verses uh, 23 through 24. All this is part of this introduction of these messengers uh, to the church at Corinth. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Paul now gives a summary of the credentials of the three delegates to Corinth. He draws the distinction between Titus, his partner or, co or colleague and personally appointed representative and the two representatives of the church. So Titus, like Timothy in, in Paul's letters, is described here as Paul's co-worker, a term he uses of Timothy. Um, and if anyone should raise questions about Titus's two companions, Paul says, there's three things you need to know about them. They are brothers in Christ. They're Christians. They're appointees and envoys of the churches. They're representatives of the churches. This is actually the word apostle, apostolos. But uh, there's two uses of the word apostle. One is a general sense of an appointed representative. And Paul was an appointed representative of Christ. And there's the, there's the technical sense of a, an apostle of Christ, a person chosen by Christ to be his representative. These people are, are apostles of the churches. They're representatives of the churches. So, you know, there shouldn't be any question. These people were chosen by the churches. And a third thing they want to know is uh, they are, you know, uh, they are, they, they, their life and service are a credit to Christ. They're an honor to Christ, Paul says here. Verse 24, therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so the churches can see it. Paul's short letter of commendation, verses 16 through 24, concludes an appeal for the Corinthians to do two things. First, he says, they were to give evidence of their love Second, they would demonstrate the reason for Paul's pride in them. Uh, that certainly included, you know, extending to these representatives warm hospitality. But more important, they have to cooperate, the Corinthians do, uh, with the efforts of these men to supervise the final arrangements for the collection. Um, you know, Paul may have in mind the need for the Corinthians to... Um, exhibit a willing and generous spirit of giving. This was done, he says, so the churches can see it. So, you know, you can be a testimony to the churches. So we're talking here about uh, the sending of Titus and his companions to complete this collection. Uh, he's introduced the messengers, and now he wants to talk about 
uh, and, and, and exhort the Corinthians on this matter when the representatives come, this exhortation to readiness, to be ready. There is no need for me, verse 1 of chapter 9, to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. We're talking about the gift here, the, the offering. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians. Remember, Paul is in Macedonia right now, writing 2 Corinthians. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia, that's the province, Corinth is the capital of the province of Achaia. Thessalonica is the province, the capital of the province of Macedonia. Telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them, that is the Macedonians, to action. And they heard about the fact that the Corinthians were giving. Uh, some suggest that here Paul is using a little reverse psychology. In 810, Paul dated the beginning of the collection at Corinth as last year. Here he uses the same Greek phrase to speak of the current boast of the Macedonians. Since last year, the Christians in Achaia, certainly including the Corinthians, ready to give. But this initial, you know, as we've talked about, eagerness of the Corinthians has not uh, translated into action, unfortunately. We talked about maybe because of the difficulties between Paul and the church. So we have to uh, draw a distinction here between the Corinthians' ready desire to give and the actual fact of having completed the collection. This verse is only concentrating on the former aspect, their, you know, their enthusiasm to help out. That was true. Paul's reminding them of that. Uh, but when we get to verses 3 through 5, we'll see that the Corinthians had not been giving liberally. Uh, the relationship then, you know, between chapters 8 and chapter 9 is that the Corinthian enthusiasm for participating in the collection served, as we saw, as a, a worthy, an example worthy of emulation by the Macedonians for the Macedonians' contribution. And it worked, he says. When they heard about your enthusiasm, this spurred the Macedonians. Now, because the Macedonians have successfully completed what they had enthusiastically begun under the stimulus of the, the Corinthians example, their uh, Macedonians, uh, their Mas the Macedonians action now forms a basis for Paul's appeal to the Corinthians to complete their contribution. Verse three, for I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. We've been telling, hey, man, those Corinthians, they're really good givers down there in Corinth, you know. <laughs> this is the Bill Combs paraphrase here. Uh, these, these Corinthians are, man, he's, he's telling these people up in Mass, these Corinthians are good givers. So I've been boasting about you, but uh, should not prove hollow. I don't want this to prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if I, for if any, excuse me, if for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, so when Paul comes 
and some Macedonians accompany him. This is after the representatives have already come and so forth. For if any Macedonians come with me when I come and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So although the Corinthians, I say, had initially been eager to help with the offering over the last year, that eagerness had waned, obviously. Therefore, Paul was sending the brothers in order to avoid a couple of embarrassing situations, that is, Titus and the two other men. And the, you know, this, the embarrassing situation he wanted to avoid was first, he didn't want his repeated and confident boast to the Macedonians about the Corinthians' eagerness to help and their expected eagerness to turn out to be without foundation upon his arrival. He didn't, he didn't want... <laughs> He didn't want people, the Macedonians who came with him to find out that his boasting about the Corinthians was really empty boasting. Second, Paul did not want some individual from Macedonia, not to be confused with the two companions of Titus, if they should accompany Paul on his forthcoming visit to find the Corinthians still unprepared. So this would lead, you know, obviously to acute embarrassment for Paul, <laughs> you know. He's been boasting about these Macedonians and then they come and and they haven't completed the collection, it would embarrass Paul. And Paul says it would embarrass you in verse four. The mass, you know, you would be embarrassed when the Macedonians come and see that, that you haven't done what you boasted about and what I boasted about. Verse five. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance. That's Titus and the two other men and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. I say here, in order to try and avoid either of these embarrassments, Paul thought it necessary to urge the brothers to prepare for his coming to Corinth by supervising final arrangements for the collection there. He reminds the Corinthians of their earlier commitment, the generous gift you had promised. So now if they respond, you know, promptly when the brothers, Titus and the other two men come, they would be fulfilling this obligation that they had voluntarily assumed and would be ensuring that the gift is not grudgingly given. I mean, Paul knows that if he comes and the Macedonians come, you know, he doesn't want, he doesn't want them to be pressured in the amount that they give. He wants them to just complete what they had promised that they would do. Do it willingly and not, as he says, grudgingly or under any sort of compulsion. Now, uh, we're talking about the collection here. And now we see the results. Paul wants to talk about the results of this generous giving. What will, it, what will this result in? What will be the consequences of this, of your gift? How will, how, how, what will be, what will happen? What will be the results? First, he says, there'll be increased blessing to the giver. That's to you, Corinthians. There'll be blessings to you. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
I might just say a word here about uh, this word cheerful here. Um, it kind of involves a, uh, a fallacy, a verbal fallacy, <clears throat> sometimes called the roots fallacy, etymological fallacy, is something that, you know, seminary teachers try to teach their students about not to make this kind of mistake. You know, you may have heard sermons, I've heard it many times, that this word cheerful, uh, from this word cheerful, the Greek word, we get our word hilarious. And, and that's true in the sense that the Greek word is hilaros, hilaros, and so ultimately our Greek word hilarious comes from hilaros, and then it came into Latin, and then it becomes hilarious. So the idea is, you know, God loves the hilarious giver. That's an incorrect way to understand how language works. Just because uh, a word has a certain beginning point or etymology uh, or root doesn't mean that the word means what it meant originally, you know. We see that commonly. Uh, you know, we say to people, we say goodbye. Where does goodbye come from? Well, it comes from Anglo-Saxon, that is very early English, where it meant God be with you. God be with you got contracted to goodbye. But when people say goodbye, they don't think of God be with you, even though originally that's what it meant. <laughs> so it, it meant that, but it doesn't mean that, you know, um, and there's lots of examples like the word nice, for instance, we say something is nice. Your shirt, is nice looking, your, you know, your clothes, your house is nice. Well, that comes from a, a Latin word, uh, nescius, which means ignorant. So, you know, it doesn't, you know, the, the root word meaning doesn't mean what it means now. So that's what I'm saying here about cheerful giver. It means, it's translated cheerful giver because the Greek word means cheerful. <laughs> God loves a cheerful giver. I say here, Paul uses what appears to be a proverb in verse six. You know, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap. It sounds kind of like a proverbial statement. Uh, you can't find an exact parallel of that, of that in the Bible. You don't see that exact proverb. But, but you find, you know, all kinds of verses that seem to say that, that talk like that. Um, I just pulled out some of these, like Proverbs. One person gives freely, it gains even more. Another withholds, but comes to poverty. See, it seems to suggest that, you know, uh, sowing generously, you'll reap generously. A generous person will prosper, and so forth. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will be rewarded, and so forth. Proverbs 22, 8, 9, whoever sows Wickedness reaps trouble, so forth. The generous that will be blessed, you know. Luke six thirty eight, give and it will be given to you, uh, for you will, you know. This is our Lord. Galatians six seven man reaps. So so, you know, it it's certainly a biblical principle here that so sparingly you'll reap sparingly and so forth. Uh, each of you should give, you know what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or any, under any compulsion, 
because God loves a cheerful giver. So I say here, the principle here is, uh, is clear. Uh, we harvest uh, in proportion to our planting. You don't plant any seed, you're not going to harvest anything. The image of harvest also suggests the freedom of the sower to plant as much seed as he chooses, whether sparingly or generously. So in the same way, Paul says here that each person should decide in their heart here uh, what they should give and then give what they have decided here uh, is what Paul says here in verse 7. Um, giving should, uh, should result from inward resolve, not from an impulse or casual decision. And once the amount, you know, you give has been determined, you settle on that, Paul says, it should be given cheerfully since, uh, you know, God approves of uh, a cheerful giver. Verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. So God's response to generosity in verse six, sowingly, uh, sowing generously, you know, God's response to that generosity and the the, the, the attitude, the cheerful giver, is to bless you abundantly. I say here, the word bless is the common word for grace. So, for instance, the ESV translates, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Um, that's the ESV and others translate that way. NIV says, God is able to, to bless you abundantly. You know, more literally, I don't know if you say literally, but it's, it's God is able all grace abound to you. And so what is the form of the grace? Although the focus of this chapter is material blessings, thus the NIV translation, it may be that Paul is thinking of all the benefits we receive from God. So it's a little difficult to know exactly what Paul is thinking here. The NIV takes it as in the context, because we're talking about giving, is, you know, those who give, God will bless them abundantly. Uh, it actually says God will, you know, uh, God will, uh, will, will give you grace. He will make grace abound to you. Um, so uh, it may be that there's a little broader than that. Uh, and we, we have to, we know from the rest of scripture, we know pretty clearly that there's no such thing as what we might call a quid pro quo between our giving and God's giving to us. Paul says God, Paul doesn't say God will, but God is able to bless you. Uh, and so I'm emphasizing that because you know why, because there's a whole a branch of Christianity, a whole host of teaching and preaching, especially on TV that says, if you plant your seed of a thousand dollars, God will give you $10,000. You know, God has to do it. God must do it. He, you know, he, he can't do anything but that. You give a thousand dollars to our ministry, 
and you'll get $10,000 back. You know, that's the pitch and so forth like that. Uh, and, you know, that would be, you know, I don't, that is not true. It's not true in experience. And I don't think scripture is really teaching that. Uh, the point is God is able to bless you generously. That may include material blessings. Uh, it may include other blessings. Um, Paul's uh, point here is that uh, um, God is going to replenish the resources of the generous giver. Whatever we spend in Christian service, God will replenish us so that, he says, in all things, at all times, we're going to have our needs met. You'll have all you need. Maybe not all you want, <laughs> remember, but you'll have all you need. Um, and beyond that, he says, you'll have resources to abound to every, in every good work. It seems to imply as regularly as the resources of a cheerful giver are taxed by one's generous giving, they are replenished by divine grace. Um, this gives the individual complete self-sufficiency, all you need. You'll get all you need. Now, there are plenty of examples. Many people testify to the fact that they have given to the Lord and God has blessed them materially in other ways. And that's what I think Paul is saying here. God blesses those who give generously. Um, it's not exactly a quid pro quo. You know, you give $10, God will give you 100 That's not the point here. Uh, I don't think God promises that. He's able to. But um, God will reward and bless those who give to him his work and so forth to meet the needs of others. That's what Paul is saying here. Uh, God will take care of the Corinthians. If they give, God will take care of them. Uh, I say to illustrate this point, Paul quotes Psalm 112. Uh, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. I won't take time to look at the whole Psalm here, but if you did, it's describing the righteous person as dispensing generosity or generously to those in need. He talks about in the psalm from the from the wealth and riches in their houses. He talks about God fearing people um, um, freely distributing their gifts to the poor. He talks about and a result of their giving, their piety, their righteousness. Um, these these things will not be forgotten by the Lord. That's what the psalm is talking about. But they'll have permanent effects in their lives. They'll gain an eternal reward, but I won't take time to look at all of that uh, psalm right there, but it's emphasizing Paul's point there from the psalms that he's making here. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I say previously in verse 6, Paul had observed that the person who sows sparingly will reap a meager harvest. Now he develops the imagery of sowing and reaping using terminology found in Isaiah 55, 10, Hosea 10, 12, to emphasize the truth that 
Generosity brings handsome dividends. So if God routinely provides the farmer with a harvest of grain for his daily needs, as well as the seed for the next planting, he says, Paul, uh, he says, he says to the Corinthians, God will surely do the same for you in the realm of grace. Now, of course, this can only happen if our intentions are proper. And that is the problem with some of this, uh, you know, name it and claim it. Or if you give $1,000, God will give you 10,000. People sometimes do it because they see it as a financial investment. I mean, at least you get the impression, hey, this is a good deal. I'm going to give this 1,000, I'll get 10,000. Well, that's, that's the wrong motive for giving, obviously. Uh, the true intention here is, Paul says, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Um, the reason you're doing this is what Paul says, you're supplying the needs of the Lord's people, he'll say in verse 12. So Paul is commending here, you know, a lifestyle of generosity is what it gets down to. I say here, Paul then adds a statement in the last part of verse 11, which he will develop in 12 through 15. The Jerusalem saints, as the grateful recipients of the Corinthians' liberal gift administered by Paul and his colleagues, would express their thanks to God, the source of all good gifts. So one of the benefits of you giving is that people will thank God, and that's a wonderful thing. They'll thank God. They'll give thanks to God for your generous gift. All right, verse, uh, verses 9 through 15, increased thanksgiving to the Lord. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. In verse 12, Paul now says that not only does the giver benefit from generosity, but the recipient benefits as well, supplying the needs of the Lord's people. Above all, generosity promotes the glory of God by pro promoting many expressions of thanks to Him. So the overflow of this giving is praise offered to God. I say here in the first part of verse 13, Paul gives the reason, because here, for such thanksgiving, the saints at Jerusalem, as well as other Christians who heard of the collection, would praise God because this act of Christian service has proved the reality of the Corinthians' faith, right? This is a demonstration that these people in Corinth are genuine believers. The obedience that companies accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Uh, you know, it's possible, I'm reading between the lines here, it's possible that, you know, Jewish churches, Jewish Christians could have suspicions or doubts about the Corinthian church, about irregularities, things that are going on. And Paul's point here is that the church at large will recognize the collection for what it is. It's God's grace working in your lives, in the lives of really redeemed people. I say the content of the thanksgiving is found in the latter part of verse 13. Two items, notice here, um, two items are mentioned. One was the Corinthians' obedience to the dictates of the gospel 
that accompanied their confession of a gospel of Christ, a gospel that called for the con contributing to the needs of the saints. The other was the Corinthians' generosity demonstrated in sharing benefits with the Jerusalem church and therefore in one sense with all Christians. Notice uh, that uh, praise is offered less for the gift itself than for the spiritual virtues of the donors expressed in the gift. This is exactly what we see in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Paul is thankful for the Philippians' gift to him, not so much for the gift itself, he says, but because of what it shows about the Philippians, about their Christianity, about their dedication to the Lord. That's what really, he says, that's what really makes me happy, and I'm rejoicing. He says that in Philippians 4, and it's what he's saying here. Um, this is what this will demonstrate, you know, your genuine Christianity. So, you know, in a sense, we do demonstrate our Christianity with our pocketbooks. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. There are still two other results this offering will have. Prayers for the Corinthians will be offered and a closer relationship between Jewish and Gentile elements of the church will be forged. The Jerusalem believers will receive material benefits and in return will dispense the spiritual blessing of intercession for the Corinthians. Their prayers for you, uh, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, Paul says. They'll intercede for you. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, as they pray, they'll, they'll as the Jerusalem church prays, they'll rec recall this surpassing grace he talks about because of the surpassing grace that the Corinthians giving is because God is working in their lives. And as the Jerusalem church prays, they'll recall this grace that's given, the surpassing grace imparted to the Corinthians by God. Uh, as evident in their generosity. And as a result, their hearts will be warmed towards those at Corinth, and they'll long to see them and enjoy, you know, a closer relationship with them. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul ends his appeal with a thanksgiving or doxology, which is doxology is an expression of praise to God, that also becomes a reminder of the supreme example of giving, the Father's gift of the Son. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's really the greatest gift of all. We might ask ourselves, uh, were the appeals of Paul to the Corinthians in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, were they successful? Did the Corinthians come through? <laughs> Did they actually give? And uh, yeah, the answer to that is yes, I think we can say that is. Now remember, Paul is in Corinth. Remember, I said he leaves Ephesus. He goes from Corinth to Macedonia. He meets Titus there. That's where he's writing 2 Corinthians. And uh, then 
if we go forward in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 2, we're in Acts chapter 20, verse 1. Paul finally arrived in Greece where he stayed there three months. He comes to Corinth and stays there three months. And there he writes the book of Romans in the year 56. And this is what he says in the book of Romans. He says to the Roman Christians, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. He's in Corinth. And he's telling the Romans, you remember what he tells the Romans is, hey, listen, my plan is to come to Rome and to visit you. And I'd like for you to be the base of my operations as I evangelize the Western part of the Roman Empire. So I'm coming to Rome. I'd like for you to help me and be part of this ministry as I go towards Spain and the Western part. But first of all, uh, I'm here in Corinth, and I've got to go to Jerusalem and, and, and take this offering. I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia, notice, and Achaia, how about that? That's Corinth. We're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So we get a good glimpse here that Paul's appeals, the sending of Titus and the two brothers, turned out to be successful. All right, let's stop here for tonight. And let me see, I'll stop my share here. And so remember, we will plan, Lord willing, to meet next week. And we'll see if we can get the speaker to finish this book sometime <laughs> before uh, Memorial Day, or at least, you know, I mean, we, we got to get finished here sooner or later, right? So we'll see if we can. <laughs>